Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 41. Thank you for being here, and a special thank you to my Patreon patrons who get the shows early and with extra content. If you want to support me and the show, do that at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. Today's episode is with two theatrical designers, so this discussion is tailored to theater workers and people who get 1099 income and work out of town or out of the country. Both of the guests have been on the podcast before. John Lee Beatty, a set designer, was on episode 32. Ken Billington, a lighting designer, was on episode 38. Ken has incorporated as a business, and John Lee has remained unincorporated. They are both theatrical designers, but John Lee files all of his taxes on his personal return, while Ken's business does his business taxes separate from his personal return. So what we'll learn in the discussion is what deductions they take, how they take them, and how they organize them for tax time. Speaking of tax time, April 15th approaches. If you haven't found an accountant yet, go find one. They'll tell you what they need from you in order to file, and that makes it easy on you. Even though 2020 was a year of massive unemployment for those of us who work in the live event industry, it is important to find the tax help you need and to pay for it. You certainly can do it on your own, but you need to be organized. Now, filing 2020 taxes might be a good year to learn how to itemize deductions and how to organize your receipts. It was a year where you might not have had that many deductions to organize, so if you figure it out this year, you'll have it set up for each year moving forward. That's your financial homework for the day. Make sure you have a plan to file your taxes. Ken's advice is to figure it out by at least March 15th, a month before the filing deadline. That way you have time if anything falls through the cracks. If you don't have an accountant or know who is going to help you file your taxes, find them today. If you have an accountant, get them all the documents today. And if you're filing your taxes yourself, stay up late tonight and complete them. Easier said than done, but you must do it, and the sooner the better. One last favor before we get to the interview, and that is to tell somebody about this podcast. If they are an artist, wonderful. But even if they aren't, what we discuss is applicable to everyone. And sometimes it's easier to listen to other people talk about their finances than it is to talk about it with our peers. When people listen to these episodes, it does make them consider their own finances. And I know this because I've received many private messages where people tell me that they've taken some of the advice or they'll ask me clarification questions specific to them. So while you telling someone about this podcast is an act of goodwill that you do for me and I am grateful for as it grows the listener base, it may help that person get better with their own finances. As always, there are links to everything we talk about in the show notes and on our website, artisticfinance.com. We did have a discussion on agents and lawyers that I wasn't able to get into this episode. It's over on Patreon, but I find it valuable for anyone thinking about getting an agent. So my free offer always stands. If you don't want to become a patron, but you want to hear that, email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and I'll send it to you directly. 
Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, John Lee and Ken, to the podcast. Thanks. Hi there. And before we start, I just want to say that we are recording this on January 20th, 2021. So we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. We're amidst a Black Lives Matter slow burn across the world. And we're amongst the so far peaceful inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president. And then before go we ahead. start all this, 95% of these questions don't relate to the way I work. I think the most important thing is I've watched you working. And when I've seen you with your the man who does your bookkeeping and all that, I think that's what we need to get out there where I rely on my agent to do the bookkeeping and blah, 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 blah. So I think it's, are you in the room when the taxes are done, Ken? No. You have a bookkeeper? No. Does a bookkeeper visit a tax person? Nobody goes to anybody. So your bookkeeper has been doing your taxes all these years. That is correct. And that bookkeeper that does your taxes, they're the bookkeeper for your your company as well. Yeah, absolutely. They do everything. They send it in. And now I double check it. I don't. I just don't blithely sign it and send it off. Okay. I do go through it all. So we won't have to visit you in prison or something someday. No, no. <laughs> but you, uh, you don't have an agent either, do you, Ken? Or? No, I just use an attorney. Yes. So Ken and I are the exact opposite. I have an agent and I do my taxes, but the agent, I don't use him to get me work so much, but I use him to run interference with general management. And I I use him, he keeps track of all the checks. So I get at the end of the year from my agent or even my previous agents, they give you a printout of all your projects and how much money you've made and what percentage they took out of those monies. So I take that information and all of my receipts and I organize my receipts. It takes me about two days to get ready for taxes. And I take all of that to my tax accountant. Okay. So the money that you get paid, you get an itemized sort of list. When someone like me, the way I've organized it, the check that pays me goes directly to my agent. The agent takes out 10% and then sends on a check to me. And in the process of doing that, they have done the bookkeeping for me. I actually don't know how much money I've made in a year until I sit down with my tax accountant and we put it all together because I get a combination of uh, mostly 1099s, once in a while W-2, but mostly 1099s. Okay. But then you, all your receipts, that's you organizing all your receipts and expenses and taking that along with that statement from your agent to your tax person. Yes. Ken, do they send you the 1099s or does it go to your... Every contract is with KB Associates. All checks come to KB Associates. All monies come to KB Associates and they are put into a corporate account that runs the business, pays the people, including me. Then the accounting at the end of the year is a corporate accounting of the finances of all the money that's come into the corporation. So you are paid by your corporation. Do you get a 1099 or a W-2? W-2. I'm a salaried employee of my corporation. Ah, okay. And it is the only money I earn uh, other than, um, you know, interest and money from investments and anything that would be in my name personally. When I work, 
all of, everything goes for the corporation. So nobody sends a check to Ken Billington. They send it to KB Associates. Right. And in my case, all the checks go directly to the agent who then reissues the monies to me. So Ken, to me, it sounds like your personal taxes are actually pretty simple because you're just getting a W-2 from your company and then all the bookkeeping is done through KB Associates. So you don't actually have to do any of that. Yes, I mean, my taxes are, there's still many pages, but it's very simple. I have one employer and I have other income, uh, obviously from um, you know other sources, but that's all investment or social security or pension or whatever. But that income comes to me personally, but then that is all put into the uh, income tax that we do. Okay, and so that means you don't actually itemize your personal taxes. Any itemizing you do is done through KB Associates, yeah? Well, it's a, a tad more complicated than that. If I buy if I buy something for the show, like John Lee and I buy stuff for shows all the time. I go to the store and I buy something for $10, erasers, you know, whatever it is. And I pay $10 cash for that item. Take that receipt and I put it into the corporate database as an expense for the show that I paid for. And then the, my corporation pays me the $10. They put the expense money as given to me because I paid it out. And then the corporation bills the show and the money stays within the corporation because they paid it out already. And certain things, though, I assume that certain things like rent are not billed to the show. No, rent is a, an operating expense of having a company. Only things that would be billed to the show are, well, not the only things, but printing. I have a blueprint machine. We charge for blueprints. We have a Xerox machine, a copy machine. We charge for copies. If we send something FedEx, I have a corporate FedEx account, so that would just be billed back. And if I go to the store and buy the $10 item and I put it on the corporate credit card, then it's in the corporate account and they just bill it. So if there's anything you're ever confused about, about where does this go, do you just put it into your company's spreadsheet and your bookkeeper figures out where it goes? Well, I sort of always know where it goes. Sometimes it's a show. Sometimes it's just a business expense. If I took you out to lunch to talk about doing this podcast, then that would be a business expense. If you rang my doorbell and said, hey, Ken, what are you doing tonight? Let's go out to dinner. That's a personal expense. Right. And I try to keep those. I also can deduct those, but I try to keep that very honest because once you start, you know, taking a deduction for, you know, a, a pleasant dinner with friends, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, no, absolutely. It also goes for when you're out of town. And so you're um, now away from your domicile. So wherever you have been sent to work on this project, that is not a personal expense at all for me. That is a corporate expense, which maybe I buy the airplane ticket to get to wherever, but that's on the corporate credit card. So that would be billed to the management. My per diem is sent to the corporation and the corporation pays my expenses when I'm out of town. 
The one thing I have learned over all the years is whatever your per diem is, is about what it costs to live. Per diem is not, I don't think, a money-making um, thing. You know, no. oh, look, I'm getting $75 a day. Yeah, but dinner costs me 40 you know, and lunch costs 15 and breakfast if you don't get it free with a hotel. And then, you know, you buy coffee for the crew or you grab a dozen donuts on your way in. The per diem money is just covers the expense of being out of town. Exactly. And people sometimes think that you're benefiting, but, you know, in the long run, it, it evens out. The problem when I'm doing my taxes on the per diems is that, and why the IRS hates designers, sometimes you're paid, uh, a job will be paid the contract amount and the airfare. And then sometimes the contract amount, the airfare, and the hotel. Sometimes the, all of the above plus per diem. Sometimes you don't know there's different grades. And when I'm doing bookkeeping at the end of the year, and I, at the height of my career, I had 16 jobs a year maybe, all of these could be different. And what you have to record is only the overnights. It doesn't work if it's a day trip. That's a whole different thing. So it's the overnights. And also the government actually has a chart that your tax accountant can use that tells you the cost of living according to the government in each city of the United States. So when you go turn in your receipts, they can match up for about how much you should, for exactly how much you should be getting in that particular city. So they even it out by that method and sort of double check you by that method. It is very confusing and you have to make sure that those per diem checks are separated from your fee because that's a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And many times per diem, uh, the management will try and give you cash. Do you want your per diem in cash or do you want a check? I want a check sent to the company. Some people want cash. And this is going back a few years when there weren't cash cash cards, uh, you know, bank cards, you, you could run to the bank. Well, yes. Or if you were working in Europe where they would give you it because it would be so hard for you to use a bank card or, or to change money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to keep track of that cash. So if you give, they give you a week's per diem in cash, you do, so, they just don't throw money at you. You sign a piece of paper that in their bookkeeping for the show is submitted. It is submitted as an account that they gave me this much cash. So I have to say, oh, I got this in cash as per diem. Right, which is kind of a nightmare, quite and, frankly. Yeah, so I never want cash. No. Right? It's uh, it just it always feels a little crooked to me, even when it isn't. So <laughs> <laughs> now I thought if you go out of town and you get per diem, because sometimes I've gone out of town and I don't get per diem. Regional theater does not pay per diem. But if, if you do get per diem, don't you then, this is how I've always thought, is I don't have to save any of my receipts because I just tell the accountant that I got per diem. Is that correct? That's, that, that is generally correct, yes. Yeah. They make it hard on you if they don't, if they are not exactly the same as your last employer, that makes it harder on you. But you're, you're generally correct in that because the amount allowed by the government would define the expense. Yes, it used to be much harder. You had to keep receipt for every single meal and 
and every you know every cup of coffee and blah 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 and it's it's been made simpler in recent years right and it's hard now is most places you don't get receipts no no you have to request one yeah i never had problems that way it was always a pain in the ass going back when i used before i had a company keeping track of all those receipts and to the point where i still take all my receipts and throw them in a envelope for the month uh, and then they get put into a dead file. And after 10 years, we throw it in the garbage, uh, but it, they're sort of there. I find some of the receipts very helpful at the end of the year, just as something to remind me of what was going on, though. I, sometimes it will remind me, oh, that regional theater did it this way or something. But Ken, what about business gifts? That's another deduction you can make. Well, if I buy you an opening night gift because we've worked on the same show, that would be a business expense. If I buy you a birthday present because it's your birthday, that would be a personal expense. And the same thing with business dinners. There's a cap on how much you can spend on a business dinner. Right. You can't just decide to go have $300 dinners for two. Right. Well, you know, in the theater district, that's hard. Yes, but, exactly. uh, but they don't allow it. You, there's a there's a cap on it. I, I didn't actually know that. I, I didn't realize there was a cap. I thought it was just you could only take a percentage of the dinner. There's a cap. There used to be, it was called the three martini lunches of businesses would go out and they would have the three martini lunch uh, at the fancy steakhouse then the government put a cap on what lunches were and the three martini lunches disappeared. <laughs> so uh, somebody was just telling me I, that expires this year or next year. Interesting. I, I do know when you do the receipt, if you're doing your own taxes, if you do the receipt, you get the receipt for the dinner and you paid for it and there's say there are four of you, always take that receipt and write the names of the people who were that you bought it for. Otherwise, you're making something up out of whole cloth. The receipt doesn't necessarily tell you how, how many people ate the meal. So Yeah. I, I always write how many people were there, and I write whatever we talked about. Oh, that's great. Like, usually just one word, like a show name. Oh, I certainly put the show name on as well. That helps. But I, I usually do the, the most important would be the people who were there. But. And by the way, it's easy to do when you get the receipt at the restaurant. There's a pen on the table. Everything is there. I know you need to be back at the theater in three minutes, but the pen is there. And then you just sit down and you take, you're not, you're maybe even standing, write that information, which takes you 40 seconds and you're still at the theater on time. And it's not three months from now, looking at that and say, oh God, who did I have dinner with at that restaurant? Was And what show was that? Why? Because I was working on two shows that week. Or worse yet, what if people came from two shows and met you at dinner time? <laughs> and, and a lot of time where this becomes a problem is if you're audited. Yes. I am very honest about everything that I do on my taxes. As am I. I hate paying taxes, but you know, it's a reality. You need to do them and they support what they need to support, like the government and roads and food safety, whatever, wherever taxes go, that's part of it. And that's part of life. It isn't that anyone's out to get me. Yes. Also with your taxes, if you set up deductions a certain way, 
it is to your advantage always to set them up exactly the same way every year. Because if you get audited, or even if someone's just taking a brief look at them, if you're taking the same kinds of deductions at generally the same proportion, you're not, nothing flags you as, as something out of the ordinary. But it's very, very important if you're doing your taxes and you're involved in them, basically you're saying this is the way business is done. For example, I take non-reimbursed props, like when I got stuck with the receipt for a prop that never got paid for by anybody else, I put that in, and that's always one of the categories that I use. Like Ken, I'm totally honest about everything, but uh, just the clarity of it, as well as the honesty, the clarity of, of the method of your method is important to maintain. And what everybody should know that's listening to this we are not tax accountants. We are just guys who do what we do and have figured out this system. I don't always have the answers. If I do, I call my accountant and say, what should we do here? Don't take us as gospel. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I go to a tax service that specializes in theater. That's extremely helpful because they are not surprised by and shocked by what I'm doing and how many employers I have and the kinds of work I'm doing. So there, that's extremely helpful. And I see people I know in their lobby as we, as we prepare our taxes. And that's extremely helpful to me just to have a theater tax company. It's an extremely helpful. Yeah. And I, I want to point out that what you said about doing them the same way every year. So I have a spreadsheet And each year I just copy last year's spreadsheet and make it a new file and just empty all the contents out. But I have all the itemized areas. I've never been audited, but I do that in preparation for an audit eventually. Also in terms of equipment, like for example, buying a new computer or a a printer or anything that you're buying that you're mostly using for business, that can be deducted, but it can be prorated over a number of years. You don't say a $1,200 computer, you don't plop it into just one year. That's why those classifications, keeping track, a running track, which the tax people do for me, of how much you're deducting each year for, for major equipment. Hmm, this is interesting because I usually plop them in as one-time charges. <laughs> in the corporation, if we buy a new computer, the computer costs what it is. The corporation pays for the computer. And then in the taxes, it's amortized over five years. It depends on how expensive it is. Or, and also, I, I rely on the advice of my tax preparer as to whether they kind of like it being amortized, as Ken says. Uh, they rather like that, but I could also do it in one fell swoop. It's no, there's no legal reason, but you can do it both ways. They, the tax preparers have formulas that we use. For example, my telephone, we decide what percentage of my phone use is personal and what percentage is business. Also, like taking the subway for my work, sometimes I'm taking the subway, I think the most was nine times a day, but you take a percentage of, of the subway and, and any form of transportation. They have a formula for, uh, that's government approved, I think, for taxis and things like that, because I just can't keep track of all the taxis. You just, you, 
there is some sort of plausibility issue that you follow. But. Okay, well, well, taxis is just one of those things that I assumed you could ride off every taxi ride. Basically. Well, okay, basically, but technically you can't ride it off if you're just commuting. It's You're supposed to only be able to ride it off if you're transporting equipment or something or taking something. That, that's what I understand. Right. Of course, that's the only reason I take a taxi. <laughs> I'm in the subway a lot. <laughs> but I feel like technically if you take a taxi, like say the show, you get out of rehearsal late, you know, take a taxi home. I feel like technically that's not ride offable if you have to pay for it. Oh, right. Unless I'm taking a gobo or a gel home for some reason. Right. You're right. But anyway, but that's one of those gray areas where it's like, I'm pretty sure everybody just takes all the taxis, but technically if it's under 50 miles, you're not supposed to. That's a very gray area. But you got to again, understand we are not um, a typical job. We aren't nine to five, five days a week going to work. We are working whenever we get a job, and that could be seven days a week. But there's a regularity if you are leaving your home and driving every day at 7 a.m. to your place of work and leaving at six o'clock, and you do that, you know, all year. That's not a deductible thing, but we're like, we don't know when we're going to work. And if you're working 8 a.m. to midnight, and it's an 8 a.m. call, and you didn't get home till 1 a.m. because you were in a production meeting until 12.30, and you have to get up at 6 to get back at 8, and you take a car service or a car, I put that bill in because that is a job re- is requiring me to be someplace that is sort of out of bounds of normal. Yes, good point. Um, also, I just backtracking away, you were talking about client gifts. So I just want to point out that that there's a cap of that of $25 per person. Yes, and also I, I discovered the hard way, even if you're telling the truth, it has to be a plausible gift. <laughs> well, I'm... I, I, well, I gave a sort of a joke gift to someone and my tax person said, you know, that's really not going to fly. So even though it was truly a gift, it didn't fly. Again, plausibil- plausibility and honesty have to go together. I mean, you can't really. Right. I was very lucky. Uh, Peter Schneider, who later worked for Disney, but he was a friend I worked with off, off, off Broadway. He knew a, a very nice woman who helped people with their taxes for very little money. And we were all quite poor. And I went over and she did my taxes for the first few years in New York. And that was helpful. And then she told me she was leaving it. And she then sent me on to another company uh, that did theater taxes. And my taxes were quite simple then. But I, as it escalated, I, it was, I was grateful that she had set me up properly. But then I went to a company that did theater taxes time. And that was even more helpful. Right, because I, if you go to H&R Block, and that's just a name I know from television commercials, they are probably not going to understand how to deal with theater people. Yes, I would. my advice would be if you were starting out or you're a freelancer or something, if you can't afford to go to some hotsy-totsy place, I would ask around your friends just to, as I did. I was just fortunate that a friend had an answer and knew somebody pleasant who wasn't going to charge me a lot just to set me up, especially the first couple times. That was very, very helpful. You should probably find an accountant before March. Yes. You know, <laughs> and then like, and set it up. And 
you know, I remember when I got an attorney years ago, I could not figure out why this very fancy attorney took me on when I was 22. And he said, well, this is for the long run, Ken. He's still my attorney, you know, and he's made money with me over the years. And it's the same thing with your accountant. If you get your accountant and you're, it's simple and not terribly complicated, but then you're a customer. They worry about you. And for as long as go to them, as long as they're doing it or you're doing it. And in my case, people came to me eventually and asked me what they should do about their taxes. And I brought a lot of customers with me to the tax service that I was using. Ken's absolutely right. You think when you're young and have no money that nobody cares, but actually you may be very useful in in the nice sense of the word useful to them later. And you are a long-term client. I stayed with the same tax service now for 40 years, I think, or at least the same people as they've moved from company to company. Yeah. And I want to say, at least in New York City, I know at least two tax offices that do a lot of actors and designers taxes. So if anybody needs a recommendation, feel free to email me. If you think you can't afford it, I will say both of those companies are not that expensive. I mean, you you be the judge for yourself because they're more than zero. Finding somebody to do your taxes is not a, actually as expensive as people think it is. The place I go to one year, I said, I looked at my taxes. I said, this is a huge mess. And I said, you didn't charge me enough. And I said, you got to charge me some more because this is a nightmare. <laughs> because again, when you've got 16 employers and none of them are paying you the same way, it, it's just, it's such a... And I literally came in with a shopping bag full of receipts. Although, speaking of that, preparing for the taxes, I've learned over the years, it all goes so much more smoothly if you actually dedicate more time you dedicate to preparing for the taxes. The faster the taxes go, the less they cost you. Sadly, I think it's unfair that I have to give up two days of my work year preparing my taxes but it's all time well spent because I have to organize. And then I actually know what has been going on. Ken's point of getting an accountant at least by March is a good idea because it's going to take you that much time to prepare, even if you get somebody to help you with your taxes. And even if you get an accountant that is good with artists' taxes, you're still going to have to prepare everything. And the company that that you're going to call in January is going to give you some guidelines in January for how you should be preparing yourself. Ken had said H&R Block. And while I think it's important that artists, especially if you're getting a lot of 1099 income, I think it's important that you find an arts accountant and and they're around. You can go to H&R Block if you're organized with your itemizations, but that's a lot of onus on you. Whereas if you go to somebody in the arts, they will tell you what they need from you. Right. And and I, I have never been to one of those big accounting firms. I, you know, they're all good, proper people. But, you know, if they're in Kansas City, they probably are not as on top of uh, arts accounting as somebody that would be in Los Angeles or New York. They may be. Who knows? You know, their father may have been in showbiz. Who knows? <laughs> you know. To a certain extent, taxes are taxes. And so anybody who does taxes understands. But I think if you're going to an arts accountant and you say, oh, here's a ticket. I went to see a Broadway show. That's research. If you tell that to an arts accountant, easy peasy. They say, great. But if you tell it to your accountant in the Midwest or somewhere, they say, well, I don't really know if that's deductible. 
you know, it might be more of a conversation. Right. What about a trip to Paris when you're designing La Boheme? That's an interesting deduction. And some people wouldn't think a trip to Paris that you paid for yourself qualified, but it absolutely does. You do realize that anybody who writes a play or writes a novel, if they mention eating at Maxime's in Paris, a trip to Paris to eat at Maxime's is tax deductible. I used to laugh with Wendy Wasserstein because she would mention certain hotels in her plays and you would realize that, oh, Wendy went to London and she could actually deduct her stay at the Savoy because she mentions the Savoy in her play, The Sisters Rosenzweig. That said, how would you know how to describe staying at the Savoy unless you stayed at the Savoy? Or I spent $5,000 for a trip to Ireland to make sure I'd seen the place the play took place and to buy some props from the actual town where the play took place. That's absolutely legitimate. Hmm, This sounds like a very gray area, as legitimate as it is. (laughs) I think you need to think about it. If I were doing a show that took place in a slag heap in Arizona, yes, I might have to go to the slag heap in Arizona, at which point it sounds like much more legitimate, right? (laughs) Also, the thing to remember is if you get an accountant, they're probably, you're going to pay them whatever they are. They are probably going to save you that amount of money because they're going to look and say, oh, you know, you can deduct part of that going to the slag heap, <laughs> you know, uh, that you didn't know you could because it is an odd. Right. This is a good point. I, I actually sit down and tell my tax accountant, I say, here, I, I sort of flag a few things. And I say, is this legitimate what I did? Or is this a legitimate, you know, or, or and they'd say, absolutely. Or they'd say, no, it's not going to fly. And sometimes you just don't know what's deductible. It, it, you know, you get into higher echelons. You know what was funny? Years ago, I was watching some crappy TV show in the afternoon and Charo was on. The singer Charo was on and she was wearing one of her crazy outfits and she was talking about being audited. They said, why is your dress so tight? And she said, well, actually, the IRS decided that I could only deduct clothing that I could not sit down in because she was trying to deduct all these glamorous dresses. The only way to prove that they were only for work would be if she couldn't sit down and have dinner in them. She could deduct anything that was tight enough that she couldn't sit down. But in general, it's an interesting point of view. You can't really deduct your tuxedo because because you could wear a tuxedo to anything and you could certainly go have dinner with somebody at Four Seasons and wear it. And that doesn't wash. I guess so. I feel like a tuxedo you would only ever wear to. I guess if you're going to an award show, that's not work-related. But I feel like, to me, that's work-related. I wouldn't go to one for fun. I don't think it's deductible. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I don't own a tuxedo, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you need, to, we, you need to emphasize that Ken and I are working in opposite organizational methods. Yeah, if we if we haven't made that clear, John Lee Beatty is a one-man designer. It seems like your personal tax return is your business tax return. It's all the same thing. Absolutely. I am not incorporated. I am an unincorporated business. As such, I still pay taxes and part of my uh, estimated taxes are an unincorporated business tax, just because you're unincorporated does not in any way mean that you are not a business. You are a business. A lot of designers early on don't realize that 
they're a business. The, the IRS caught up with a number of people uh, and explained, had to explain to them, oh no, you're a business because you're operating as a business. You are a business. I'm just not legally incorporated. If you're in the United States and you're getting 1099 income or you're an artist, you are a business. Artist means business. There's no separation. Right. So, so John Lee, I would say that you are, like most of the listeners, probably, I'm guessing, are you, where they itemize for themselves. Yes. Other things that are, have come up, though, for me as an itemizer, I didn't realize that working in different cities had different taxes. So, of course, when I work in California, I have to pay California taxes, or you ask for the California taxes to be refunded to you, et cetera, et cetera. None of this is federal, by the way. This should be the state, California being the hardest one. Also, internationally, if you're working in a foreign land, depending on which land it is and what the tax laws are, they take their money off the top before they even give it to you. So if you made $1,000, they may have taken 500 of that for local taxes. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, all the funds I earn in the UK, I pay taxes on here because the shows do arrangements with the government in Great Britain. If you work in foreign lands, that's usually taken off the top and you never even see it. So then you have to record because the contract said you earned $1,000, though you only received 750 so now what does your accountant say about that other 250? Is that, a, and I really don't know, is that a deduction? Where is that money? Because in fact, you never got it in your hands. So you're paying taxes on the $1,000, even though you only got 750. Plus you're paying taxes in the foreign land. Plus you're paying a wire transfer fee on that money that I think is deductible because you're not getting that money that the wire transfer fee is. And if you're good, you write into your contracts that the uh, producer pays for the transfers. Ken, you know what I can't remember is like when we did Chicago in London, some people kept the money from Chicago in London on the idea that they would be back in the UK to work again and that they could access that money. But I don't understand why they did that. Do you know? I sort of wish I had done it because if I had had a UK bank account, I could have bought an apartment over there because that money wouldn't have been in my bank account here. It would have been for savings in another land, but I would have had to do pay the taxes over there. So then I would need an accountant in the United Kingdom to do my accounting over there. How long did Chicago run over there? One theater, 15 years, and it closed for two. Then I went back. The national tour is played pretty constantly for 20 years. So it would have been worth it for you. Oh, yeah. Well, it totally would have been worth it. And I, I said before, one of my problems early on when I did get audited was that the bookkeeping on the monies I'd been getting in Europe I didn't have documented properly, so I hadn't paid taxes on that, and that showed up as income that I had not paid in, uh, taxes on in the United States. Bad. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a sort of detailed question for you, John Lee, which is, you had mentioned like buying a couch for a show. If I buy something for a show, like I buy a thing of gel, $8, I give the receipt to the theater, and they pay me $8. I don't put that receipt in my itemizing, but the theater doesn't send me a 1099 at the end of the year for $8. I'm doing that correctly, right? 
Like, I don't need to itemize that because they're paying me for it. When I got audited, the IRS said something very interesting to me. They said that I had advanced the company cash. I had not advanced the company the sofa. Therefore, the receipt for the sofa should have stayed with me and I should have been reimbursed from my cash advance. I told them that no theater in its right mind would be giving me money to pay for my advancement of cash and not demanding the sofa receipt in exchange. So that was a big problem. Many theater companies, not so much in New York, require the original receipt, not a copy. That means if you are sending the original receipts, which we do on everything, they have to be copied. We keep the original here and send them a copy of it or vice versa, but you have to copy every receipt, which is just another day of Xeroxing. So you never want to let this get out of hand for three months because then you're not going to remember any of it and not be able to get, and then you have to Xerox it and you're going to copy it and you're going to spend all day. And especially if you have a low-end copying machine, it's going to take a long time. Right. The original receipt, so I always just scan and send sort of a list to people. And I've been told, oh, you're going to have to give them the original receipt. And no one has ever asked me for the original receipt. You will. (laughs) It will happen. You send in a bill for a lot of money, you know, $1,200 in receipts. And the money doesn't come. The money doesn't come. You called them and they said, well, you didn't send the original receipts. Oh, okay. Then you go and then you find the original receipts. The other thing that sometimes happens is you send the bill for $1,200, which is a stack of receipts. Then the money doesn't come, money doesn't come. And you call them and say, hey, you have a $1,200 expense bill from me. And they said, oh yes, there was a receipt for $3 missing, so we can't pay it. That is very real. Speaking of real, what happened to me, I turned in all the original receipts and then didn't get any money. Three months later, they said they'd never received the receipts. Oh, no. It was a little shady or inept. We'll never know. But that would be a good reason to copy all of your receipts and put a date on when you turned them in so that you could prove to them that it was perhaps uh, their mistake. Shall we be generous and say it was their mistake? But I've had that happen. Absolutely. I wanted to to ask Ken, uh, this is always from the very beginning of my career, I had a discussion with Neil Peter Jampolis, the lighting designer, early on. He asked me how many receipts I turned into the producer for model supplies or whatever when I did a show, and I told him very little. And he said, oh, well, no wonder they love you. You're not turning in receipts. And he said, you're actually doing all of us a disfavor because if they're going to pick you because you don't turn in an extra thousand dollars worth of receipts, they'll say you're cheaper and then the rest of us suffer. It was a food for thought that actually there's the opposite of trying to overcharge a producer that I was actually undercharging and I wasn't helping designers as a whole by not turning in receipts for legitimate expenses on a show. And and when you sign a contract, there usually is an expense in the rider. Right. Depending where you're working, you know, it will be you have to get approval for any expense over $150 or to say printing not to exceed $500. By the way, $500 for printing, well, you know, uh John Lee 
or any designer, a scenic designer, does a big musical, that could be 30 pages of drafting easily. I did a show last year that was 98 pages of drafting. That all has to be printed. Whatever cost to print, we send that out. We don't do that here. That's too much. If I exceeded what they said in the budget, then I put in for the eight or $900 worth of drafting, then they say, well, we're only paying, contract only says 500. So you have to be very careful about what the contract says. You work at some places where they will not pay for Federal Express. They will pay for Express Mail, but they will not pay for Federal Express. And it says in the contract, if you use Federal Express, they will not reimburse you. There are some regional theaters that will put a cap on expenses, and those expenses might include you hiring an assistant to do some work. So they would might lump it together so that you would be responsible, say, if they gave you $1,200, that the model supplies and the cost of the assistant to build the model is going to be absorbed into that one finite amount of money. You have to remember, of course, if I hire an assistant, I have to pay them a 1099. It isn't coming from the producer unless they are paying the assistant. So if I'm paying the assistant, I have to 1099 them. And a lot of people would prefer that because they don't get sucked into being the employer of yet someone else and having to pay for all the extraneous fees for that. Not such a great idea because I like assistants to have a union contract so they get their pension and welfare, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the year, sometimes something will come up and we do some emergency job and I have to just hire someone to do something just to make my life easier as a designer. I, and I, then at the end of the year, I have to be careful to 1099 them. And I have to make sure I do it early enough so that they can do their taxes because it's really rude to do that really late. <laughs> but, well, there's a law, too, about when you have to send those out. You have to receive your W-2 or 1099 by, I think it's the middle of February. You, ha you have to receive everything. That includes the interest from your savings account. And I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there is a law. And if you haven't received it by February, you get in touch with somebody and find out where it is. And actually, my tax people recommend me using a company like Intuit or something to do the 1099s rather than having them do them. That It actually works out better if you do them electronically through a company, it's less procedure and more accuracy. Yeah, because I've sent 1099s physically and you have to mail and get the physical form because the IRS needs an actual form. At least when I did it two years ago, there wasn't a way for me, the person to do it digitally. So I can definitely see why doing it through an online company makes it easier for everyone. Um, and also this interview is coming out in February. So if you paid somebody more than $600 and you need to send them a 1099 and you haven't done it, you've already missed the deadline because it's, it's January 31st that a company has to send out their 1099. It's also against the law not to send a 1099. So you go fix that in your head somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, la last year, actually, because of just the pandemic and everything, and somebody wasn't doing their taxes well, and they randomly said, oh, Ethan, can you 
whatever it ended up, I thought I was getting reimbursed for something and I wasn't. So I had this, I had ended up paying more than $600 to somebody. So it was after the deadline, I sent them a 1099 and I thought, great, I'm going to get dinged from the IRS for this. And as far as I know, I haven't. Well, in theory with the IRS, here's another hard thing about being a designer. I pay estimated taxes to the federal government, to the state government, and to the uh, unincorporated business tax. I'm supposedly estimating my income for the next year. Well, I don't have any idea how much money I make, and my income could vary by as much as $100,000 from year to year. And I have no idea until we do my taxes what that is. In theory, the government could penalize you even if you'd overpaid because you're actually supposedly in good faith estimating your income. Now, what I thought for that with the estimated taxes, I thought you were supposed to look at what you paid the previous year and pay a quarter of that every quarter. That's what I, that's how I thought that worked. We've had to, I, that isn't exactly how we do it because I've overpaid some years and underpaid others and we recalculate by another number of variables. You want to pay those estimated taxes on time, by the way, that's four times a year. So your April, January, whatever, uh, April, January, September, and I forgot once and that was a cost me a bit. Mm. All right. Noted, noted. Um, So in case we haven't explained it, Ken is incorporated as an actual corporation. Um, Ken, to me, it sounds like you're not actually doing things so different from John Lee, except that you're incorporated. So it just all goes through the business, but you're still itemizing the same sorts of things. And do you have to pay quarterly for the business? No, we pay our taxes uh, at the end of the uh, our physical year. By the way, when we pay people, you know, we send the withholding goes into the appropriate government, however often that goes in. But, you know, and my physical year is not, is not January. It's a different time of the year. So that's when we do our taxes. So at the end of the physical year, we then pull it all. And then you have the three months to get your taxes done. Also, I'm not paying taxes on the 10% that my agent is making, and I'm not paying taxes on the 2% that the union's taking out. So you're, those are also deductions from, from your gross income. And, and deductions can also be um, if you give money to uh, a not-for-profit, your church. There are standard deductions that... Um, are, that you give $100 a year to your church, that would be a deduction. As for me, you have to be careful though, Ken, because you cannot deduct, say, labor in kind or, or uh, say you didn't, you can't donate six extra hours of work on your project. No, but I could write a check for uh, two tickets for the not-for-profits dinner, and that would be a deduction. Absolutely. Uh, I had makeup designer Cookie Jordan on here. Say that she charges $10,000 for her wigs, but they only have an $8,000 budget. She will give them them for $8,000 and she will ask for a receipt for in-kind $2,000. I think if you could get a receipt for the in-kind donation, wouldn't you be able to write it off? No, I don't think so. I have no idea. Otherwise, don't you see how it would work? I mean, maybe she has a company. Does she have a company or something? She does have a company, but it's her. It's like John Lee. 
So she does it all through her. Uh, she's an LLC? No. No, she isn't. She's, I guess, an unincorporated business. Oh, okay. I don't think you can do that because basically you would be, no, I don't think maybe so. Maybe it's different because it's the actual physical wig as opposed to time. Maybe she's maybe. talking about wig rental. I, I, I can't speak about it because I have no idea. All right. We, we just got Cookie in, in trouble with the IRS. <laughs> but don't you see why that wouldn't work if you were to volunteer to work for another day on a show because they say they can't afford it and therefore you you write it down as if it was a donation? I agree that it is a donation to any designer. That's a big donation, but uh, it's not going to wash as a donation. Yeah, I think you would have to get a receipt, and I don't see a company giving you a receipt agreeing to that. You know what I also I found in terms of deductions? Here's an interesting one. Oftentimes, people get this cute idea, oh, you do such beautiful sketches. Can we put one in our uh, our auction for our our annual auction with our top donors and I give them the sketch I figure a sketch of mine for insurance purposes is about $1,200 so they auction it off and get $25 or they get $3,000 I don't know what they get I cannot deduct the value of that sketch that I gave them. Well, that sounds shady to me. I feel like you should be able to. No, because you see, I could just make up any old value. I could give them, you know, my used Kleenexes and tell them it was worth $16,000. Yeah, but I mean, you're here on public record saying they're $1,200. And I think, don't you think there would be like an expected price? Like if you said 50000 sure, maybe that could get questioned. But John Lee could sell that sketch for $1,200. That would be a legitimate sale and he would make income from it. Absolutely. And when I do that, I pay taxes on what I make from the sale. You can't do that from like an auction. It doesn't work that way. Okay. All right. Fine. I <laughs> <laughs> thought I had something else to say. Oh, I, this is just another point about if you think you can't afford an accountant, you should still ask. You should still get a quote. In 2018, the standard deductions changed. They doubled. I had been deducting what I thought was just over the limit of deducting. And then when the standard deduction doubled, I thought, oh, well, it's pointless for me now to keep all my receipts and itemize because I can just take the standard deduction. But my accountant disagreed. Somehow I still itemized and still deducted. Um, but had I been doing my own taxes, I would have done that way wrong. Yes, I had the same thing. I read all that and I thought, oh, I wonder if I'm not going to be able to anymore. And then I turned out, no, I was back in the groove. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I still don't know how or why, because according to my spreadsheet. I don't either. Of course, you're paying those tax people to keep up with the laws, which change so fast. It's shocking how fast they all change and how much they have to learn every year. I think our time is up, but I want to ask one one last question. And if you guys have anything more to add, please add it. I'll start with Ken. If you were to go back and start again, would you do the same thing organizing your business and your taxes? Would you start the corporation? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is very easy. I don't have to go through everything John Lee goes through, but I have somebody. If I didn't have a business manager to deal with, the bookkeeping that goes with having a corporation, because there is a lot of bookkeeping that goes with it. It's also, there's all sorts of insurance, you know, I mean, the liability insurance I carry, because I work other places by 
besides theater. And if I'm working in a theme adventure place, theme park of something, they love hiring a corporation and the liability insurance. If they hire you as an individual, do you have $5 million worth of liability? Then you have to go out and get it. And anything that's done with the United Scenic Artists, liability is taken care of. Liability is crucial. And liability insurance, for those of you, is if something goes wrong in the theater, a staircase collapses, a light falls and injures somebody, who is liable? You don't want it to be you. Which again, it says on all my drawings, they, my drawings all say they are concepts and I am not responsible for any uh, structural. Liability insurance is expensive. John Lee works mostly on United Scenic Artist contracts. So it's already there. He doesn't have to work, worry about it. I work outside of United Scenic Artist contracts when I work in a theme park and I have to carry a lot of liability insurance. For the work I do working in all facets of the lighting design, I need a lot of insurance. And again, having a corporation makes that easy. Okay. So then John Lee, for you, if you were to go back and start again, would you do it the same way you did or would you try to incorporate? I wouldn't incorporate because uh, I, I've stayed quite consistently doing sort of what I started to do just on a larger scale with more projects. But I have learned a lot by doing my own in terms of preparation. I've just learned a lot about how my business works. So no regrets. I think I would have started, I was just a little naive when I started and I should have more clearly set out, a, as you say, a spreadsheet of, of just how, how to do my taxes from the get-go. But I learned soon enough. I, I have no regrets. And I have enjoyed having an agent that's worked out fine. And that is my backup is, is having an agent. They certainly know how money travels and show business, which I did not know. Okay, fantastic. All right. Well, John Lee and Ken, thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing your experiences. Yeah, on this day. (laughs) That was our interview on tax deductions. Thank you to John Lee and to Ken for sharing all that. My takeaways were get an accountant, be organized, and be honest. If you want to hear the discussion on agents, find that over on Patreon. You can become a member for as little as $3 a month and get access to the outtakes and early releases of the episodes. That is at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And speaking of patrons, in episode 17.5, we interviewed lighting designer Dennis Size. He is relevant today because he just became a patron of our show. Thank you, Dennis. Now, I know that being a patron isn't for everyone. Your hard-earned dollars are valuable and much better put to use saving, investing, or paying for your daily needs. But if you still want to help out and you have two minutes to spare, tell one friend about this podcast. That's the single best thing you can do to help me, and I'm grateful for it. And the last thing to remind you before we wrap up, your financial homework for the day. Make sure you have a plan to get your taxes filed. Find an accountant if you don't have one already. If you do have one, send them all the documents. And if you're filing yourself, stay up late tonight and do it. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. 
Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steinle. Producing consultant Anne Nigrin Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.